There was that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. Ooh. One ant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boys, they're puny. Hmm, puny? Say, let's pretend this grain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? A classic clip from the classic 1998 Pixar film, A Bug's Life. The monologue from the tyrannical grasshopper, imaginatively named, yep, Hopper, and appropriately played by none other than Kevin Spacey. I work for Kaiser Soze. Ah, uh, the Archons really do like to hide their machinations and even weaknesses in plain sight. They can't help it. They're as arrogant as Yaldi Baldi in the Gnostic text, bragging about his shitty creation known as the universe, alerting and pissing off his mother, Sophia, to no end. As above, so below. Yet the point is that we are far more than the rulers of this age. We are smarter, stronger, and in many ways better armed than the Karens and Katamites in the establishment. We just need to realize this, understand the delusive chimera they have woven over our psyches that makes it seem we need them or that they're better than us, and begin hacking their unholy code. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. We don't even need to be violent, yet. Just bring the fear of the Lord right back into their adrenochrome-pumped hearts. As Nikos Kazantzakis wrote, If we all desire it intensely, if we organize all the visible and invisible powers of earth and fling them upward, if we all battle together like fellow combatants eternally vigilant, then the universe might possibly be saved. As Dr. King said, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. We only need 10 to 20% of us to rise and call out their Gorgon bullshit. That's it. The empire is defeated. Yes, yes, the rest of humanity is indeed a near-hopeless mass of meat sack, hypnotized into choosing safety over freedom, unable to choose ecstasy over entertainment. As experts have noted, the old Communist Party 
didn't have the resources to control a vast population spread across vast Russia and its territories. So the Bolsheviks relied on brainwashed citizens to maintain their satanic hold. Your neighbor was more likely to turn you in than the KGB. It's very similar to what's happening today with all the internet ass-clenchers and virtue signalers. Duh, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh, and I find out about it, I'm going to try to take everything away from you. And I don't care what I find out. Could be today, tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now, if I find out, you're fucking duh, finished. As Hannah Arendt wrote in The Origins of Totalitarianism, The ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the convinced communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction, i.e. the reality of experience, and the distinction between true and false, i.e. the standards of thought, no longer exist. Sound familiar, oh listener? A little bit about myself. I'm in a polyamorous relationship with two life-size companion dolls. I also do up-close sex magic. I both read and masturbate to tarot. But the difference today, unlike the Soviet Union or Mao China or Nazi Germany, is that we have Hermes and we have Sophia. We Gnostic-minded are tricksters, innovators, and wicked orators. And we certainly have a techno-battle-thirst that makes us as formidable as Athena, Anat, Akmoth, or Sekhmet. We just won't get fooled again. In the end, the universe tends to unfold as it should. Plus, I have a really large penis that keeps me happy. Only 10 to 20% of us need to wake up fully to cripple the machine. Are you with me? Are you ready to stand for the least of your brothers, the powerless and the downtrodden, the dreamer and the shaman, the medicine woman and the witch at the edge of the village? Then you came to the right place. Welcome officially to AM Bite, with your host and pompous of Gnosis, Miguel Connor. Welcome to the revolution of the spirit and the mind. As Seth Godin wrote, Revolutions enable the impossible, at the same time they destroy the perfect. And as Ursula Le Guin wrote, You cannot buy the revolution. You cannot make the revolution. You can only be the revolution. It is in your spirit or it is nowhere. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Let's continue defeating those grasshoppers down here in the Black Iron Prison. And by Odin's Dingleberries and Hera's Vibrator, our astral guest definitely has that gnosis to dissipate the Empire. That is the remarkable Anna Reitort, who will be discussing her new book, Broody Blue, the sequel to her Red Pill suppository work, Krivda. We shall be discussing the shenanigans of the Demiurge and his thug angels, for sure. But Broody Blue takes a different direction than Krivda. 
It is more about the solutions and exercises you can take to unleash your divine spark and optimize your news or higher mind. Although it's fun exposing the powers and principalities, we can't always be like the old man yelling at the clouds meme. We must take action, or even better as Anna reveals, the non-action that brings us into the ultimate reality which the Valentinians call Bythos and Seji, depth and silence, the great father and mother. In that state, everything is possible, and all potential is accessible. Amazing book, and get ready for an, an amazing interview. The divine does not reach out to us from a cosmic beyond. It breathes from within. If the body shells the soul, and the soul is divine grind, then God is earth. God is us. God is all around. Interestingly, N and I don't agree when it comes to the idea of a simulation or the nature of nature. Yet we come to the same conclusions. Why is that? Because we're moving away from either-or thinking, you see, and allowing our experiences to guide and optimize our thinking. We embrace that cosmic wonder in between either-or, you know, that depth and silence. In that condition, not everything is one like New Agers and other theists want us to believe. But everything is the all, and everything spreads out like a tapestry of miracles. We play with the dark and light in and outside of us, like hermetic alchemists. I didn't have the heart to tell her there is no heaven to go to, because we're in it already. We're in hell, too. They coexist right beside each other. And God is the land. However, regarding the simulation hypothesis, I'd like to briefly discuss the I Ching, or Book of Changes, a foundation of much of Taoism and Confucianism. It's pretty traditional shit, isn't it? Not so fast. Ultimately, the hexagrams are nothing but, you got it, code. Binary code. Even now, you're all still talking code? Everything is code here. You know that more than anyone. This very code, the hexagrams, creates and sustains the universe. Like any code, by definition, it is crafted by an encoder and set as a message to a decoder that obeys or at least understands the rules of the code. It's a language, a language that moves things. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, so you're just an asshole. Okay, then. So, in a way, even the I Ching supports the idea of a simulation. Hecken Hecate, the inventor of the binary code, Gottfried Leibniz, is said to have come up with his discovery during a time when a Jesuit priest gave him a copy of the I Ching. Whoa. Beyond the Book of Changes, 
the Pythagorean music of the spheres, or the great frequency that is Om, or token singing Anur, is also a code. So is the cosmos creating laughter of Abraxas in the ninth book of Moses. A code, a language that moves. We are not in the carcass of Ymir or Tiamat. Creation is nothing like those louts, Jehovah or Allah, acting like construction workers, moving matter around until their dicks are hard. Nothing like that. And we must embrace that depth and silence to understand the celestial computer language fully. Trust me, the establishment and their dark magicians have been manipulating this code for millennia. And I think he made us forget why we're here. This here, it isn't real. It's an illusion, a magic trick, a simulation. Meditate on this, and meditate even more on the charge code that Enna will grant you soon. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. We're bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no. I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made, or to even see it as a prison. In other words, we're talking about an underground which did exist in a different way during the Dark Ages among the mystical orders of the Church. And the purpose of this underground is to find out how to preserve the light, life, the culture, how to keep things living. You see, I keep thinking that what we need is a new language, a, a language of the heart, languages in the Polish forest where language wasn't needed some kind of language between people that is a new kind of poetry. That's the poetry of the dancing bee that tells us where the honey is. And I think that in order to create that language, you're going to have to learn how you can go through a looking glass into another kind of perception where you have that sense of being united to all things. And suddenly, you understand everything. This is the Aeon Bide interview. And with us, it is an honor and a pleasure once again to be joined by Anna Reitort, this time to discuss her book, Broody Blue, a handbook of ruthless gentleness for the natural human mystic. Anna, thank you very much for coming on the show again. And thank you for having me again. It's a real treat. Oh, yeah, it's always a treat talking to you for sure. I love what you're doing, and we do speak sort of the same language. And with us, too, we have somebody who's also very ruthless in his gentleness, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? 
Okay, I'm ruthlessly gentle today. <laughs> <laughs> but are or you gentle. a natural human mystic? Yeah, I think I am, actually. Yeah, for sure. Despite I, myself. <laughs> despite your ego <laughs> tripping over yourself. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are definitely going to... We've got an excellent book, very useful, and in many ways, very necessary for in today's life and for today's culture. So um, before we get started on the book, Anna, I think we had you last January of 2022. Uh, it's been a year, although it, in some ways it seems like a thousand years have passed. What do you think, what is your view of uh, what's been going on with the earth? Are things getting better, weirder, or do you have a take on all this uh, all this uh, trickster craziness that's going on? Oh, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we are, we're, I think, coming close to the, the great squeeze, <laughs> the great, the great sort of, um, uh, yeah, the great squeeze where the ultimate of one variety that you've just described will meet the, the 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 very extreme of the other variety that you've that you've expressed but there's uh no i mean the stirring in the uh in the masses um it's it is happening it really is happening and uh i mean not so much out where i am in the world but um i mean you know of course i'm following what's happening in in the Western lands that have been more heavily hit. Um, and while I am very concerned and sad and grieve, at the same time, well, you know, there is this, this renewed sense of what it is to be human, which, you know, got me working on the Krivda book. And then the Krivda book was kind of incomplete without what had to be written next. And um, yeah, so there we are. It's, uh, you know, on the Krivda side of things, on the crooked truth side of things, it's, there isn't a day now without a new revelation of, oh, Oh, this is what they've been preparing for the past 50 years behind our backs. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, uh, but by already seeing, you know, the arc of what has been, you know, uh, deployed, staged, prepared for the past millennia, somehow one one encounters these revelations with, uh, oh, well, it's just your draw is dropping a little bit more to the floor. But at the same <laughs> time, at the same time, the re-traumatization is not happening. And I think that's that's really important. I mean, you know, my heart goes out to all the people for whom the the actual conscious traumatization has not yet happened, you know, who haven't yet taken into their consciousness what has been happening. Uh, because when it hits for them, it's going to be really, oof. Um, but otherwise we're, you know, we're looking at this theater and we're feeling the pinch 
in you know whichever local ways you're getting your versions of it which are pretty bad in north <laughs> yeah. america we're getting our versions of it here which are all hidden behind the particular uh oriental smile um yeah but i think i really feel that this year is going to be you know the two the the two the anti-human and the human are going to start uh grappling each other and not just unilaterally it's going to be you know it's going to be from both ways that makes sense and i agree as uh, my friend uh chris knowles likes to call it the great ra set in other <laughs> words the sun god ra the good and set the dark trickster both are right in front of us to make our choices and uh yeah you, what do you mean by consciousness trauma and of course we should probably talk about Krivda too uh before we get into this book since Krivda is just as essential to this book as uh to understand your work uh in toto well um well Krivda is in a way the prelude to the what i hope is the good stuff in the second book <laughs> but basically i mean Krivda was for me and for well, you know, readers who write to me has been the bringing into consciousness of what we know has been our traumatization. But, you know, it's it's one thing to know that we've been traumatized, all each and every one of us, in this or that way, in this life, in previous lives, you know, through the oversoul of humankind, etc. And the other thing is to realize that this has really happened for each one of us and to become aware of the modus operandi of this thing on the macro scale, touching us and touching, you know, earth also. What has been done to her is, is you know, no less forgivable than what's been done to us. But it's becoming aware of it and of it being a pattern there is a modus operandi, which has evolved, of course, technologically over the centuries. But, but the underlying envy of your friend Yaldibaldi, uh, <laughs> or of whatever one wants to call it, him, her, whatever it is, um, once one becomes conscious of it, one can process it. Most of the trauma that was inflicted to us was such that we were not equipped or we did not have time historically to process it. For me, you know, the business of writing Krivda was to be able to journey through that whole arc of time and to see the, the consistency in the game of the gods. And once you see it, well, you're going to have your bouts of fear, you're going to have your nightmares, you're going to be sick once in a while, but then you come out the other end of it feeling, oh, okay, that's the way they work. Well, I'm not like that. I'm a human being. And as a human being, I've had to, I, the collective I or the individual I, have had to take all sorts of shit from them. But 
why have I been, why do I have to have been victimized like this? And then you realize that it's because there's something very special about being a human that they envy. And so, you know, this, you can get both the traumatic side and also the realization that there is a reason for all this trauma. Like, you know, what they do to little kids, it's because they're after the treasure that is in the little kids. Right. And so, you know, once you realize what is the, the, the human side of this, of this equation, well, then you can start making an informed choice and you can, you can digest and alchemize the energy that was stuck in the, in the, 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 the trauma, uh, emotional subconscious mind. And, um, and then you start getting curious about, ooh, what, it, what is it really to be a human being since it's been hidden from us? So that's the that's basically the progression from the whole Krivda thing, which, I mean, for people who don't who don't know about the Krivda book, is is basically all about the a historical kind of recomposition of different stages of a religious traumatic imprinting of humankind through the very brutal. Uh, modalities, shall we say, of ancient beings who appointed themselves gods, thanks to their high priests, who figured that this would be, you know, great for getting the masses out of their self-sufficient villages so that they start serving us with money and free labor, and so that they serve the gods. And like this, we shall serve the origin of what will in the future be considered to be great civilizations. Yeah. So going from there through to the very considerable refinements in the uh, Christian religion and, you know, the mix-up, which I don't think anybody will ever be able to, 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 to completely elucidate around the figure of Jesus. Um, and then further on into what are religions of science, money, war, etc., etc. So having gone through that arc of time and 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 multi millennial traumatization that we all carry inside ourselves, that was the Krivda book. But the Krivda book finished on what I believe firmly to be. A human path, which can take, you know, all the different forms it can take from one individual to the next. But in the Krivda book, I, uh, well, I didn't have enough space really to go into, well, how does we tackle the issue of being a proper human being? And, well, you know, uh, pretty much as soon as Krivda was published, I had these, uh, had these urges and nudges and um, intimations from somewhere else to write this second book, which is basically a book of non-practices to start feeling into what it is to be a human being. And so, yeah, that's it. Does that cover the... Uh, that's no, that's beautifully said. Yes, Krivda offers us 
this view of, like you said, these gods through history that have created the slave class that we are and made us blind and ignorant, uh, very much the Gnostic journey. And your book, Broody Blue, is sort of the Gnosis journey. What do we do now? How can we wake up further and really understand who we are? I mean, as I say often, if you want to wake up, just read a lot of history. As Mark Twain said, uh, history doesn't doesn't repeat but it certainly rhymes there's 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 a cadence and a rhythm that we can see and uh for example um anna when we talked last year there was uh no war in the ukraine and now there's mm. been this war and of course you can just take out like black sabbath war pigs and read the lyrics and you're like oh this is what's going somebody's making money this is all this is all done to influence a population and to benefit these gods. Is, is, does the war make it like, let's say, the war here in Europe or in Europe? Does it make a difference in your little uh, faraway places in East Asia? Or is Asia just like whatever? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, Asia uh, is, Asia is uh, well, Asia is full of very good um disciples of uh, the WHO uh, dogma oh yes um i mean in some places it's 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 brutal in other places it's well you know with a more or less kid glove <laughs> but um and everywhere everywhere is feeling you know the rise in prices for fertilizer and things like that uh which For you, a is, farmer, and the others, it must be really hard. Well, you know, basically, I've I've set down the rule of we're not using chemical fertilizers here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's an organic kind of. You know, I'm paying for everything, so at least I can impose that one condition, <laughs> which will actually be good for us and for Lady Earth. So there. Um. And you know we've got a bunch of 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 uh, buffaloes and cows that provide you know and chickens and what have you. So you know manure is not a problem. Um, but generally, yeah. And the other thing is here the the information war is going like crazy, and you know alternative. I'm sure there are alternative, very quiet networks here and in different parts of Asia. Um, but I don't have access to them. Uh, so I just, you know, I have to feel kind of under the, under the wind, which way is the little breeze <laughs> blowing? Um, I'm seeing that, you know, at long last, in my rural neighborhood, they've ditched the masks. But it was just crazy. You would see these, you know, they're all on their little motorbikes going around the countryside. <laughs> There's nobody around and they're double masked. And so there was this, you know, this was going on for a whole year. They're very superstitious people. You know, this is a land of... A land of magic. There are a lot of magicians. There is black magic. There is white magic. People believe in ghosts and spirits of all kinds. Uh, so, you know, once 
once they had become convinced of the existence of a spirit of the virus, um, well, yeah, then the talisman, there was no talisman, you know, that was as good as double masking. Right. But the war, you know, I, yeah, the war out there is, it's an epic thing, actually, because it goes back. It goes back to a very, very, very old feud, which I haven't yet completely elucidated for myself. But, you know, one aspect is that Ukraine has to be the most fertile place in the world with the Chernozium, the black earth. Right. Um, Ukraine was never its own state. Ukraine was the, you know, cradle of Russian orthodoxy, which is kind of weird. And I'm reading, you know, I'm reading different alternative histories from Russia in Russian, um, which are beginning to paint a very different picture. But that's going to be for, you know, two books hence, because it's a lot of research, which is difficult because I don't have access to a hell of a lot of stuff here. Um, but, you know, the Kazarian Empire was largely based in what we now call Ukraine. So there is there's also some kind of very ancient curse, I feel, in that land. So, you know, what Russia is doing is it's normal from, you know, from the Russian point of view. And, you know, Russia is playing this war uh, because, well, you know, for all sorts of reasons, NATO did creep up to the very, you know, uh, Western, yeah, the Eastern edges of Europe, the Western edges of Russia, contrary to, you know, previously given assurances. And then there's, you know, the whole, the use that's been made of of, of Ukraine uh, for all sorts of extremely nefarious purposes. Um and there is this strange backdrop of the so-called Christianization of Russia at the end of the 10th century. Um, for very realpolitik reasons, not out of, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the whole Russian people had this enormous leap of faith. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. And there was a hell of a lot of resistance because the Russians had and actually still have a powerfully animistic uh, culture, but as I said, that's for another. Right. That's for another book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the seat of power of the Rus was uh, was Kiev. Uh, for strange reasons, I don't. They moved to Moscow at some point. But yeah, there's a lot going on. And what you're saying about the Ukraine, maybe it's like Egypt. It's uh, this place of magic and grain that power players must have for some reason for some mystic reason and yeah interesting in in asia it's the same these two forces are rising uh, technocracy is rising but sophia is rising too so uh it's a global thing so no oh, escape yes. no escape yeah, from yeah. either side <laughs> exactly no no we really are in this thing together um but we perhaps don't yet completely realize it as much as we realize other things in global terms, but um, no, what is really what is really disturbing is is Europe in general. Uh, 
it's you know the pronostications for uh, the extension of the war and what russia what russia really needs to do to be a balancing force between east and west because russia is the only land that can do this and the only the only um let's say soul of a nation that can actually do this because they themselves have been torn between east and west and that's a major that's a major overlooked aspect of the russian history but they understand the west and they understand the east and uh their territory must be inviolate for this to work because they have a very ancient agreement with their land you know mother russia so it'll be interesting to see but i think you know western europe playing the games that they're playing now is they're playing with fire because once the russian bear has started to stir uh the russian bear is not going to back down you know they were very patient through this whole ukraine thing you know since the 2014 coup and and this year it really you know it really hit a point of no return so i think east western europe is is this winter is going to be terrible and it's going to be terrible what comes you know what's going what's going to come next and this is this is disturbing because it's not just the western culture of you know capitalism on the let's say more the american side or the anglo-saxon side it's also the deep cultural side the uh deep legacy of let's say a true christian spirit that inspired so much of the beauty that you see in european you know cities museums what have you that is that is going the way of the dodo and so you know this there's going to be a huge cultural uh abyss or well mega gap where it really it really does behoove us to to be very mindful and to be operationally mindful and i think mystically mindful of who we are so that you know on the ashes of what is going to be crumbling over the next few years uh so that we can rebuild truly human cultures yeah yeah but it's going to get worse before it gets better because once you bring in china as well we've got ourselves a nice world war 3 and it's uh yeah western some of these western power players have gone completely psychotic but again we both have talked about it technocracy does that dehumanizes yeah. turns you know you into a machine that can only consume and exploit uh psychopathic and same as it ever was throughout history as you talk about in your book Krivda so yeah and no then surprises the there are no surprises there are no surprises but you know but miguel what is important is to understand that the gods and the priests installed their program in us right yes of course yeah so that we wage war against each other and ourselves and earth and they have done a very successful job of divorcing us 
from each other and from Earth. You know, because they know that there is a rather special agreement between the being Anthropos and the being that, you know, okay, the Greeks call Sophia. So uh, they know that, and it is for us now to know it. Um, and to and to realize that the war machine is installed in our own minds. Definitely, for sure. What do you think, Vanzo? Do you have a question? Yeah, I was wondering. And uh, do you have an opinion as to whether or not either the Ukrainian or the Russian side is uh, leaning more towards you know Western technology? Is that perhaps one of the reasons between the schism between the two people? Oh yes. Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. I mean. But remember, the, the coup happened in 2014 because the then president had been, uh, had been hesitating between, you know, the invitations of uh, the EU and the assurances of Russia and had wisely enough figured that being under the Russian umbrella was probably safer and better in the long term, in terms of, you know, providing for everything and and for security and this, that, and the other. And that's how he was, you know, ousted and this coup took place, you know, with the cookies of um, Victoria Newland fame. So that's also the reenactment of a very ancient war a very ancient war where the West has always had its sights on the vast territories of Russia and may have feared the kind of mystical calling of Russia. But basically, you know, you can put in the same bag, actually, the, the, the sense that a predator has for the treasures of the victim and the greed for those treasures, it goes together. And I understand these things as the distortion of basically, you know, primordial love, but that's, you know, between brackets. You know, the business of the Christianization of Russia was not a Russian initiative. It was an initiative from the West. And then you know and 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 the most of the population was very much against this the christianization of of russia happened you know basically in rather limited areas around kiev in in that way in the, in those days but then you got the reformation of the orthodox church in the 17th century and that was the equivalent of what was unleashed by the council of nicaea in the west uh, because most of the Rus population was still very much attached to its own old animistic ways. And they had these elders who were like, you know, Indian yogis. They could live to 200, 300 years. And all these elders were rounded up and they were burnt alive. Um, the... Uh, the mystic history of which being that when you burn people alive, you frighten their soul so badly that the soul is not going to be coming back to reincarnate anytime soon. 
And I think this explanation, you know, it's woo-woo, but it makes a lot of sense in terms of traumatizing the soul. And so it's interesting to see so many brave souls coming up again now as if the expiry date on your, you know, on your banishment from reincarnation somehow expires around this particular period in time. If you see, do you see what I mean? Well, yeah. So the refer the reformation that took place in the 17th century was a Western initiative. And the Russian people just, you know, the little people especially, they smelt a very huge rat there. And the, the opposition to this reformation was just, you know, very, very strong. And consequently, the, you know, the Russian version of Inquisition against the, the, the people was uh, very ferocious. So there is that also in the backdrop. It's very, very complicated, Vance. The, the, you know, the, both the fact that Russia has to claim its orthodox ancestry in Kiev and at the same time, that there has been all this, all these shenanigans, a lot of which was orchestrated from that, perhaps not directly from Kiev, not directly from Ukraine. It was in combination with Poland and Lithuania, you know, that, that sort of east, Western front of, of Russia. And, uh, what's happening now is it's also a reenactment of the battle of Rus against the Kazarians. It's the Russian, I don't remember the Svetopolk, I don't remember which king it was uh, or which um, uh, warlord it was who vanquished the, uh, or who got the Kazarians out of that part of the world and caused their diaspora, you know, of which we are suffering the consequences all over the world now. Um, but basically, I think Russia is now hoping uh, to have this final um, decisive battle against the different demons of that buffer zone between the East and the West. Um, and that's the way I feel it kind of, you know, in, in woo-woo mystical terms, uh, there's something about Russia that has to has to cleanse, and they've been cleaning out, you know, a lot of the underground stuff and the bio labs in 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 the Ukraine. So, you know, it's not just my being woo woo. There's clearly, you know, real material stuff on the ground and under the ground that speaks of, I mean, unspeakable black magic that really needs to be eradicated otherwise it's going to eat up the whole of the whole of the planet i mean in a way you could consider that russia is is being patriotic on behalf of the whole planet interesting i can't help but think of chernobyl <laughs> during all this well i think if you look at the 20th century <laughs> you look at the the Bolsheviks, the world wars, all that. I don't think anybody had bigger loss as many people as the Russians or suffered more than the Russians. Probably more yeah, than 100, they, 200 million people killed. Right. So they, they've learned their lessons. You know, they, 
why did they hesitate for so long before launching their battles? You know, uh, they have, they still have the memory of having lost all those. I mean, the, the, it, the bare minimum of 20 million people in, in World War II. Yeah, just there. Uh, yeah. And so there isn't a family in that part of the world that does not hold the memory of at least one of their um, family members killed by that war. You know, whereas in the West, well, Europe has largely forgotten. And in America, well, World War II was, well, you, you know, you guys were there at the end, mainly. And, and um, you know, you had some of your own oligarchs who were funding things on this and that side of the front. Yeah. So, but there is no living memory of that war in, in America, you know, which is one of the things that allows American dishonesty to say that, oh, yeah, it's our, our boys who won the war against Hitler. And, you know, saying when, when the Russians hear that kind of comment from, from uh, well, from America, they, it hurts. It hurts. Because, you know, they paid the heaviest price of all. And so, you know, I'm not defending anybody here. It's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. It was the Russians who liberated the camp. In fact, there is an argument to be said that uh, the reason Japan finally surrendered was not the two bombs, because the leadership didn't even know it was a, the society was already agrarian because all the cities were destroyed. But it was when the Soviets began invading Japan that the Japanese said, ah, we're, we're done. We can't. We can hold off the Americans, but now we've got the Russians on one <laughs> side. That's it. We we have no choice. But anyway, uh, let's get into your wonderful book as we try to find the solutions and find our place of uh, gnosis and peace in this world. Uh, let's talk about the themes. Uh, what exactly is non-practice, as you write? Its foundation is pure attitude of, quote, presence in awareness. So tell us a little bit about that, Anna. <laughs> this has to be the most difficult thing to explain, especially to Westerners. It's perfectly normal for Eastern people because they can fall into, you know, a state of non-doing. Uh, I don't know. It's in their in their mystical genes or whatever. Oh, it's but like for, the, the Tao you speak of is not the Tao? Is that kind of well, yeah, but these, Miguel, these are mind games. You know, we can say all sorts of witty things, all sorts of koans can be produced from the mind, but the real koans that really work are the strange conundrums that come from another part in, of us. And, you know, uh, when we're looking for solutions, looking for solutions to the, you know, the present predicament that, that we're in, um, for one thing, it's a very practical war, but it has, well, you know, a lot of people correctly say, oh, it's a spiritual war. They're after the soul of humankind. Well, yes, they are, <laughs> yeah. for which they have their own esoteric tools. Now, when I'm seeing lots of brave people saying, well, you have to organize as communities, go back to local, you know, use only cash. Yes, 
I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with all this, but this is only the level of a certain superficial doing this while we are not going into a rooted presence of who we are to ourselves to inspire the things that we must do. And, you know, since writing the Broody Blue book, I'm noticing this more and more in all the Western people that I know, the Western people, you know, whose whose work I follow, you know, in writing or 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 in audio. There is this predominance of the doingness obsessed mind. And it is so difficult. Why is it so difficult for Western people to meditate? Because they have to fight the mind and the mind wants to keep doing stuff. And <laughs> to keep the mind happy doing stuff, then you're going to keep the body happy doing stuff or getting rather unhappy and getting rather sick. And, you know, the amazing thing for me was that I had this big nudge towards the end of writing Krivda, of this nudge that I understood immediately that was telling me to be breathed that's how it started for me i hadn't you know what i what i formalized in in the second book comes literally exclusively from nudges that that i've had and from my own non practice of these non practices because when you're being breathed you're doing nothing and so you know i fell into this attitude completely spontaneously and it's only later on that i realized that it it would not come spontaneously to many other people but for me it was so life transforming because suddenly you're not alone anymore when you're being breathed you start to feel that there is a subtle power that is attached to you that breathes you and you start realizing that oh our language is full of traps <laughs> i mean in case you hadn't already realized right. but actually if you sit there and you you know you 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 observe am i breathing i'm not exercising any willful control unless i want to control my breath and do breath work but if i'm just having the breath coming in and out well actually i'm being breathed by something and this became this seemingly uh nothing burger <laughs> thing became absolutely fascinating because it took me completely out of the mind without having to fight the mind oh. and it it revealed to me i mean so many things you know that are mostly sort of taken up in the book again but then strangely how this happened i don't know but you know what got me to open a particular confidential kind of website about a particular japanese non-doing non-practice you know on the heels of this being breathed non-practice Okay, I mean I understood that there was that there there's a real thing here which is 
to be able to be, be it for 10 minutes. It, that you don't have to sit in this non-doing attitude for two hours at a time. Just a 10, 15 minute moment that you give to yourself is just so refreshing and you and you discover that there are these other forces that are that have your back um and that are busy healing you if you will let them do it so i mean you know i i'm the kind of person who has done all sorts of things and well often or generally not being not being really convinced mm-hmm. but these things that i have to call non practices because it's about an attitude of non doing of getting out of the doingness busyness of the western mind and the compulsion to to the compulsion to fear empty moments and when you start being in those empty moments and realizing that they are uh, rejuvenating. Um, I mean, it's much more than that. And they, they take you into the, into the core of yourself in a way that I have never found in any other practice. But, I mean, calling them non-practices is the only way to call them because there is no other word. Or attitude. But you can have an attitude of anger. So this is, you know, and then how do you practice these non-practices? Well, you don't practice them. You, let's say, cultivate them. I mean, I've had to wrestle with with vocabulary mm-hmm. because, you know, we don't have the words. I, I suppose Japanese has the words. Um, and I suppose, you know, the expression non-doing, that is what we translate, whatever it is that is it, that it is in Japanese, uh, I suppose it's a pretty it's a pretty standard thing for them because this these the particular non-doing practice where uh, it's the body that is allowed to move without any any um voluntary control uh from I, it is absolutely amazing it's i mean when you discover it in practice in non-practice practice practice, (laughs) (laughs) um it's it is life-changing you discover your body wants to move you in such interesting ways it's absolutely fascinating and it really works and in japan this is a very, it's quiet, you know, it's not publicized. We don't know about it in the West, but many, many people do it in Japan. I mean, I think even the education ministry has authorized it or organized it for kids in school. So it's strange to us, but it's not strange to the Eastern mind. Yeah, you talk about uh, Noguchi, and then yeah. you always start each chapter a quote from Itsuo Suada. So these are some of the uh, minds that created or uh, advocated. Noguchi. Noguchi. No, no, Noguchi is the one who created it, but there again, you know, it's difficult to say created, but right. the remarkable <laughs> thing, the remarkable thing about this Noguchi is that he was what we would call an energy healer spontaneously after some great uh, fire that would, you know, take place in Tokyo 
I think in the 1930s, he as a still a, a boy, um, you know, was wandering the streets and he bumped into a woman who was in great distress, very much suffering. And he just, you know, waved his hands on her and she was healed. And so, you know, there were a lot of of extremely miserable, sick, unhappy people in those days in, in Japan. And so he had an endless stream of what I would hardly call clients. Um, and his reputation grew and grew. And, you know, I think he was, even before he turned 20, he started becoming disillusioned and uh, uh, discouraged because okay he had this ability to heal people but it was always cultivating the dependency of people on the healer whereas he had already realized that the body and the body mind and the body mind soul have their own self-healing capability so he started puzzling himself over and over and over with how am i going to get the people to get weaned from my services and the services of any other healer for that matter. And he perfected these three particular movements, which one does do. That's the only piece of doing this in, in the particular um, uh, non-practice of Japanese non-doing. Um, and once you've done those three exercises, you just do Nothing. And the body starts to move. And once he had perfected, you know, he'd boiled down a whole bunch of different types of exercises to those three. Okay. So he knew now that he had something that he could pass on to people. And it started quite discreetly. Uh, and one of his pupils was this Itsutsuda, um, who, for some strange reason, nudged by the great whatever, moved over to Europe and ended up in France. But he was also a scholar, I think, of anthropology, which also makes him dear to me. And he was a student of uh, the two greatest anthropologists of France. Um, and that really got him thinking. And so he was capable of, he became capable of thinking, speaking articulately, reading, writing in French. His books are pretty remarkable in terms of, you know, his, uh, his, his grasp of the French language. But he could articulate because he had this anthropological training. He had the mind, you know, like, I humbly and in a much more small, in a much smaller way, you know, I, I use my anthropological training to be able to, uh, you know, to take these concepts that would be, well, too out there or too uh, whatever, and to somehow make them, let's say, more reasonable and to make the woo woo reasonable because. <laughs> You know, what I haven't yet said is that the command to be breathed happened 
coming from Earth herself. And, you know, as I say in the book, my mystical self had no problem with that, but my rational self did. And it took a long time to, you know, to resolve that contradiction. Um, and other, you know, the, the, once I was sort of six months into <clears throat> my happy non-practice of being breathed, which, you know, which came every week or so with a new refinement, all of which, you know, is in the book. And each refinement did not come from my mind. Suddenly my body would perform this or that refinement so that being breathed became a much broader and even cosmic experience. Um, sort of six months you know, into that, I get another nudge from the big lady downstairs, as I like to call her, <laughs> saying, okay, now you have to write this for others. And that was really hard because, okay, come on, you know, <laughs> have mercy. Have mercy, yes. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not a master meditator. How the hell am I going to convey this? No, no, do it. <laughs> so, well, you know, since the first nudge was, or rather command, was you know, producing pretty good results. I figured, well, I mean, she knows what she's what she's ordering. And so I started to write this thing down. And it was it was really hard to find the right to find the right language for something that is absolutely simple. So simple that I'm sure many people will just dismiss it. And yeah, that's their loss as far as I'm concerned. But also very, well, very mysterious because, you know, when you let yourself be breathed or you let your body do this, do these, these involuntary movements on its own, it's a whole different continent that opens up and it's, and we have no, we have no way of thinking it, which is the whole point. But instead of spending 20 years on your meditation cushion, finding that space of no thinking, you know, no doing, uh, th these realizations happen very quickly with a specifically non-doing, non-practice that is non-doing from the outset. I don't know if I'm, if I'm clear. No, very clear. And uh, yeah, it's all in your book and it's, uh, I definitely want to apply some of these in my meditation course. We are at the end. Uh, I'll have it in the show notes, but where can people find out more about you? I think you're more on Substack, right? I know you have a enawritor.info website, but I think what, Substack is more a better place. Yeah, Substack is where I, well, it's, you know, it's the normal place to have a connection with readers and to, you know, post whatever musings come to me uh, <laughs> in relation to Kivda and to things happening in the world and to Russia and to, well, whatever. So, yeah, and it, it's, it really is, you know, Substack is, is really a wonderful, a wonderful resource because I'm not going to do social media. I don't, you know, I, I just can't. I can't. <laughs> um. 
But, you know, having this kind of conversation is, well, you know, it's, it's really lovely for me. It's refreshing. It's stimulating because, well, you know, you ask questions that I haven't asked myself or questions from an angle that I haven't considered. So, uh, you know, it keeps, it keeps me on my toes. And, um, and, and it's in conversations like this that uh, I, I have to take my exams. You know, one thing is to write a book and another thing is to be able to, to verbalize the ideas of this book and uh, the test one's own authenticity always and sincerity. Um, it's, you can cheat when you're writing. I mean, <laughs> but I don't think you can cheat when you're speaking. Well said, yes, and I do enjoy your Substack. I do read it, and I highly suggest for the audience to get Broody Blue. Within uh, a few minutes, you will be on your way. Easy read. The quote-unquote exercises are there. They're available, approachable, and you can get yourself into that cat zone or that that hand zone, which, which uh, <laughs> will be so rewarding to your life. But <laughs> we are... We are at the end. Uh, first, I'd like to say, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. Oh, it was uh, very fascinating and uh, very interesting. I love to hear you, Anna. I don't know whether I I conveyed this enough, and I'm sorry if I didn't. But I really loved the uh, the you know bringing in the your idea of you know having a non doing attitude, especially in the bathroom. Which, you know, this is, it's really important. It's really important to bring spirituality back into the body in every respect. There is nothing that is not part of real life. And so, you know, the fact that you mentioned that really gave me great, it, it, you know, it made me chuckle internally. And then, of course, I went into, into a very serious response without without um, sufficiently acknowledging the great wisdom of your question. <laughs> well, after it, after all, it is a call of nature, right? <laughs> that's what we say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, and let's, let's reinstate the, uh, the, the real value of that phrase instead of, you know, oh, <laughs> it's nature that calls, like <laughs> the subaltern entity calls. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well, this has been a, a, a great conversation as well, as always, Anna. We always look forward to your next book, whatever is coming down the pipe, because uh, we need that gnosis more than ever. So uh, as always, uh, really appreciate you coming on AM Byte. Thank you so much, Miguel and Vance. I really, I mean, I really enjoy these conversations with you guys. Love it. uh, Thank you. And the voice, the voice. (laughs) Yeah, if only my wife and kids thought the same. Oh, my cats. My voice doesn't seem to work on the cats either. They don't listen to me. (laughs) No, 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 no. You have to squeak. You have to use your voice Uh to make the noises that they make. Oh. That's the thing. They, they're not going to be responsive to human language. 
But, you know, you go, uh, uh, with in your voice, you make their language in your voice that, I mean, that works. Works oh, well, with I'll my cats. out. Yeah, right now it's just me tapping the can or opening a can. That's what <laughs> makes them very obedient. That's the only time. <laughs> I can't get that. Obedience, I cannot get. I cannot get. No way. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Anna. And until the next time. Thank you. Take care. And uh, be broody. And there you have it, you of the broken places. Anna showing us the way into ourselves and into ultimate freedom. In our second part, Anna talks about cats and their mystical abilities. Anna talks more about Krivda and its corruption on our minds. She'll give us her less-than-kind views on traditional meditation. Vance gives us his great meditation technique, honoring the porcelain gods. Then Anna talks about how the Archons literally attacked her while riding Broody Blue. She'll share about the concepts of incubation and the spirituality of hens. You know she'll bring in the ideas of Anthropos and Sophia, and whether we live in a simulation, and much more. So please become a member for the full interview. It's only $6.99 a month for AB Prime or $4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You'll also get access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel for all AB Prime members and high-level Patreons. If you find value in this content, please support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Your help can even be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or Stripe or the U.S. Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now, or you can tip on any YouTube show. If you want to help via Bitcoin or other crypto, reach out to me for an address. Consider joining the Finding Hermes program, where we have bi-monthly meetings on Gnostic practices and rituals, as well as some cool Q&As. If you need help with all of these choices, just message my ass. I'm always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. <laughs>